Bethel World Outreach Church. Reaching a city to touch the world. Good morning, everyone. My name is Rice Brooks, and I'm one of the pastors. More specifically, I count myself as a campus pastor. So a little bit, uh, maybe, the, uh, maybe one of the world's oldest campus ministers, but I'm still here. And so I get the privilege of uh, speaking today and uh, continuing our theme of We Are Family. So Pastor James is in Detroit. Uh, an aunt has uh, passed away, so he's there with his, uh, with his mom preparing for the for the services today for, for his family, but I'm, I'm privileged to be here. We're going to jump right into the Word of God. We're talking about we are family, so you heard these announcements, and so the goal of this day is to get you connected. So if you're wondering what the agenda is, it's helping you understand the value of what happens when you find that connection, when you find spiritual input into your life. So I'm going to start in the book of Romans chapter 12. If you have your Bible today, wonderful. If not, you can look up on the screen. I'd prefer that you bring it. There's nothing like a real physical Bible. I know, does that sound old-fashioned to say, bring a book? Okay. You notice when you go to class, they don't just say, well, download everything. There are actual physical books still uh, used. Am I not, is that true? Okay, good. All right. Uh, I'm not going to insult you yet. It's going gonna, it's gonna to happen later in the message. So anyway... Paul is writing to the Romans and he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers or sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, let me pause and say, worship is not just the style of music that we prefer or kind of how we like to hold our hands and, you know, you've got the kind of the one hand cool method or the flag the plane down method. Uh, I remember in college, I used to be afraid when I brought a visitor that the helicopter woman would get loose. And that's the one that really had a lot of airspace when she worshiped, you know, and she'd take out a couple of rows. Uh, and so sometimes our worship comes down to a style or a music, or I, I can't worship because I don't have my favorite singer up there or my favorite band. But really, scripture talks about real worship is presenting yourself as a living sacrifice. Uh, here I am, ready to serve you. I'm all in. You see sacrifice in the Old Testament where they took an animal to sacrifice. In the, see, God's not asking us to physically die. He's saying, I want you to present yourself a living sacrifice. And that's why when I first uh, came to Christ at our campus ministry uh, at the Harvard of the South, Mississippi State, uh, we had one guy on a guitar with five strings because he broke the first one in the first song. Worship was not compelling. It was not cool. There was no kind of, oh, man, this is really helping me sing. But people there were sold out. And there was something about God's presence in a group of people that were sold out and focused on Christ that overcame all of the other things that sometimes we look to today in a city like Nashville that makes, uh, makes it feel like worship, but really sometimes it can just be a performance. Anyway, later on, more on that later is what I'm saying. Do not be conformed, verse 2, to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind or the renewal of your mind. Coming back to that. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. By testing, you may discern what is the will of God. 
that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, sometimes we take that and think, oh, well, I see that's like a progression. There's the acceptable will of God. There's the good will of God and there's the perfect. So I'm not really ready for the perfect will of God. I'll just have a little helping of that acceptable. Kind of like, isn't this like a choice? Like tall, grande, vente. Don't I kind of, so maybe as I just take a little, I don't want too much of your will, Lord, because i got some things to do. But if I get bored enough, then I'll come and surrender fully to you. No, this is not what, this is not how the, the language is, 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 is laid out here in scripture. It's the will of God is good it's acceptable, it's perfect. You don't want to be in the imperfect will of God and thinking, well, he at least tolerates this. I don't know about you. How many of you would like to be in the will of God? Okay, some of you have kind of a T-Rex, you know, well, maybe not fully, but I'm getting there, but we're gonna talk about how you do that. Then you'll be able to discern by testing what the, the good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God is. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, say everyone, not just the pastors, to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ. You can tell I'm hesitating not for drama, but because I probably should put on my glasses, but I'm not. Just trying to make sure I'm reading the words right. So though many, we are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Wow, we're actually connected to one another. My wife does Ancestry.com, and so she's and also 23andMe, which is, you know, you do this, you swab your cheek and send it in, and that shows you what you're really like. I thought for sure that I had some kind of African root, none, just none. <laughs> Sardinia, whatever that is. My wife is 1.3% sub-Saharan African. So technically, I married a sister. There she is. The one drop rule counts. But you, she's always telling me, oh, we're kin to them. Oh, we're connected to them. Oh, you didn't know that's your cousin. We are connected to one another in a greater way than any kind of ancestry or 23andMe could connect us. Can I get a weak amen from somebody? It says, we are members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith. You've seen great prophets who can speak prophetic words. I'm not really a prophet, so I don't have much faith in that area. I kind of walk up to, I'm the kind of guy that goes to a prison and says, somebody here's committed a crime. I just sense that somewhere, yeah, up there. See, not, not much of a bold prophecy, but that's about where my faith is, okay? Now, some people have great faith, so he's saying exercise your gift accordingly. If service, in your serving, there are people that have this gift. It doesn't mean we don't all serve, but there are people that are anointed. LJ, if you have never met somebody with the gift of service, she's out there probably somewhere serving without even thinking about it because that's who she is. The one who leads or teaches, rather, in his, in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. 
Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another. And all of a sudden, Paul just takes off with a bunch of stuff. And you know, when you read this, you go, wait a minute. This man thinks that we've got nothing else to do but read what he's telling us. I'm like, do this full time. In fact, I wonder sometimes what Paul would think if he came to a, a place like this and saw the letter or heard the letter he wrote being, re being read in just one little piece of it. I mean, he wrote letters to churches and fully expected them to hear the whole letter in context. So I'm even breaking that as I give a little, I'm just trying to let you know that these few little pieces of this letter have a context that we should know and read. I'm beginning to realize as I read this that the reason that God is giving us instructions and he actually expects us to make this our focus. You know, you get a lot of promises today about this Christian life. I know I see the, the especially media ministries are talking about the abundant life. You know, put your hand on the screen and you'll feel the power. I'm thinking, put your hand behind the screen and grab the wires. You'll really feel the power. But have you ever noticed that when you hear these promises of abundant life, it's sometimes kind of like going to the, to the restaurant or the, the, the fast food place and you see the picture of the hamburger on the wall where the meat and the bun are perfectly airbrushed and situated, plump, just like, wow. And then you get your burger. Sometimes I just walk up to the sign next to the person waiting and I just kind of say, you don't even have to say anything. Look at the picture. Look at this. What's the difference? The difference is, is that many times we hear the advertisements of something really promising, but we don't listen to the fine print. Like the commercials that tell you what the drug will do and then the guy starts talking fast and tells you all the things you're going to get if you take that and you think, I'd rather have the first problem than all those others. So there are some caveats. There are some other things that we need to read about. So let me just cut to the chase and say, number one, I'll read it right off of my envelope. Life begins when you stop living for yourself. Life begins when you stop living for yourself. The very first sentence in the best-selling Nonfiction book next to the Bible of all time is The Purpose Driven Life. Millions of copies, millions upon millions in languages. And the first line of it goes something like this, it's not about you. When you realize that, that's why when you start Christianity, if you think that you're going to just come and get another self-help motivational, try these things and put Jesus into your life and it'll all work out, you're gonna find out that God has a problem he thinks he's God. And Jesus doesn't just show up to help us. He's not a motivational speaker living in a van by the river. He actually walks into our lives. And, you know, and, and you'll see this in just a minute. He actually expects us to follow him. When he called disciples in the beginning, he didn't come up to them and give them a big pitch. Hey, y'all, uh, you know, I've got to start in the ministry here and we're going to be meeting over here. And, you know, we're going to have a lot of exciting things. We're going to have some all-you-can-eat dinners. You know, we're going to have boat rides where you ride out and walk back. And uh, once you see all this, 
then you're going to really want to follow me. You know, you don't want to miss out. It's going to be really good. Hey, we're starting a series on, uh, you know, how to take a little and make a lot of it. We're going to have a little prop. We're going to feed some people. Jesus just walked up to folk and said, follow me, and then turned and just walked off. And you know what he expected? He actually expected them to follow. You can see these guys walking. So who do, who do you think he is? I don't know. You're going to go. Well, I think we should. I don't know. I don't know what mom's going to say, but let's just go. He said it. I, I think he meant it. I think he was supposed, we're supposed to follow him. Not, hey, Jesus, come on. Come on. Follow me. No, it's not him following us. Galatians 2.20 says this way. Paul said, the great leader of the church in the first century, he said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. You see, people are trying to jump to a life of faith without first going to that moment of that moment of surrender. I have been crucified with Christ. Something happened to me that the old life is now gone. Matthew 10, Jesus said, whoever would find their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life will find it. You see, this isn't about finding your true self or finding your best you. This is really about what happened to me as a college student was recognizing that the best thing I could do is, is surrender completely to him, unconditional. And then was taken down to the Octibihaw County Lake in Starkville, Mississippi, and buried with him in baptism. In fact, read what Romans says. This used to be, my wife will remember this. This is a standard text we used on almost every campus outreach. We would get to this one. Romans chapter 6, verse 4, it says, uh, therefore, we've been buried with him. I think I gave it to you. Oh, there he is. This is right over my head. We were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised, I better get away a little bit, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we should no longer be slaves to sin. I heard a story years ago, and I don't know how true it is, but it's a good sermon illustration, so you'll have to Google it, but somehow they said that in ancient Rome, if you kill somebody, one of the tortures was tying the old man on your back, the per or the, the person, rather, that you killed, and that, that decayed life will eat through and decay and kill you. It's like, no, Paul said, I'm taking the old life and I'm burying it in baptism. One of the first songs I heard as a college student was Watergrave. I'm going down to the river, my Lord. I'm going to be buried alive. I'm going to show my heavenly father the man I used to be has finally died. It's okay. Just, you don't have to amen. Just stare at me. I'm used to it. There's something else. If you want to find your life, you lose it. What does that mean? The Amplified which translation, which is a little loud to read on Sunday morning, says this. It says... If you want to find the higher life, you've got to lose the lower life. I grew up in Texas, and we old school languages, that's a low life person. Well, there is a lower life, just living by our desires and instincts. Peter wrote and said in 2 Peter, 
He talked about people who were born as creatures of instincts that like animals can be captured and killed. You know, if you know the instinct of an animal, you can hunt that animal, you know what they'll do. You see, we're in Tennessee here. We got a lot of people that hunt. I, we, we had to stop singing, as the deer panteth for the water. You could see these old boys go, what a minute, hold on a minute, what deer? Give <laughs> a shotgun, no. There's an instinct and the enemy has been hunting people for centuries. And he knows your instincts. He knows how to set the trap. And so how do we overcome that? We present ourselves as a living sacrifice. The old life ends and a new life begins. Number two, if you want to discern or you want to know the will of God, your mind must be renewed. You're going to have to get some new thoughts. You don't just accept Jesus as your Savior and keep thinking the same way. Isaiah 55 says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, as high as the heavens are above the earth. You know, I was uh, going through some old things and I, you know, I actually kept an old car for years longer than I should for one reason. It had a cassette player. And all of the best messages I had from back in the day were on cassette and some of my prophecies that, you know, the great prophets had given me. And I don't have any good ones that have come since the death of the cassette. <laughs> had a couple of good ones with CDs, but all the good things I have are on cassette. I've, and I walked around Walmart looking for a cassette player. You thought I was, it was kind of like the movie Blast from the Past. But, but in the old days, when I first became a Christian, we listened to the word all the time. And so there was a, I just noticed that wherever I go, and I'm not trying, again, I told you earlier on that I might insult you later. This is that moment. Um, I watch how less and less people are engaged in the word. It's like 95% of what you hear today is like washing off, water washing off of a street. You will not retain it. If you're not taking notes and engaged, why? Because the Bible says that when the word is sown, Jesus taught this in Mark 4, it's recorded in Mark 4, when the word is sown, Satan comes immediately to take the word, which means, immediately means, guess what, right now. So right now, we're engaged in spiritual warfare. Right now, the very things that I'm saying to you, the enemy, whether it's a distraction or, you know, whatever just comes that I said something that reminded you or somebody behind you coughed, whatever. So right now, everything is going on and Satan is going to steal from you. Now, if you went home today and looked on your checkbook on, online and you found that somebody had been in, in committing fraud against you and you started having you know, charges from a fake iTunes or a fake Amazon and that's happening all the time, you would be outraged that somebody, while you sit here, was stealing $5.37 from you. You would be up in arms of that, but yet we can sit here passively while the enemy is stealing far more than $10.37 from you, he is stealing the word from you as we speak. And it is the ultimate identity theft. He isn't pretending to be you. He's taking, the, he's taking away the very things that can help you find who you were called to be. You have to be outraged. Years ago, my dad lived in Algeria in North Africa. He was in the oil business and he would drill oil wells out in the Sahara Desert. So I'd go with my dad to this Tunisian border that was right next to Algeria and Tunisia. And the flies were so bad that 
they would tie the hands of little children down so that when the flies landed on their face, they wouldn't drive themselves crazy trying to swat away an army of flies. And later I thought about that and I said, somehow the enemy has bound us so that just the enemy can just come and land and do whatever he wants in our thought life and we won't even resist. If you're going to live, if you're going to discern the will of God, it isn't like, well, isn't God going to like give me the desire? Like, doesn't the Bible say like God will like bless us or something? And like, he'll like give us the desires of our heart. I mean, that's what I heard. And I want this. No, no, it's not. You see, discerning the will of God is not, well, why isn't, why aren't my desires happening? You have, to, you have to allow his word to replace your thoughts. And then the will of God begins to emerge. It's almost like in the old days when you take a picture, that flash of the picture, you'd have to go into a dark room and swish it around in some solution. And then an image would begin to emerge. You see, as you take God's thoughts and you put them in your mind, then all of a sudden, the will of God begins to come clearly to you. And it's really nothing like you thought. If you would have asked me back in college what I could write out as a script for my life and what I thought it would be, I would have far undersold the life I'm now living because of that simple act of surrender and then saying, I know that everything I'm thinking is wrong. I need to replace my thoughts with your thoughts to discern the will of God. And then thirdly, your gifts, you have gifts that will grow and flourish as you sincerely connect with God's people in his house. That's what Romans is talking about. Turn to Ephesians. I'm starting to close. There's a difference in closing and starting to close for those of you that are visitors. He's, hey, hey, it's like they're telling you we're landing, you know. No, just we're about to land, okay? We read this in Romans that we, are, we all have different gifts. Your gifting is not God giving you a superpower so you can fly off on your own and start your own mailing list or your own ministry. The body of Christ functions when the parts come together. Have you ever noticed, I, I talk about this when I'm on campus talking about the evidence for God and you know, when you talk about whether it's the beginning of the universe and how you can just take the facts of science from the Big Bang and look at the beginning of the universe and see that, you know, from the laws of physics that are fine-tuned from the very beginning, 13.7 billion years ago, you can see intelligence at work before there was ever an earth or life or anything else. But, uh, but also when it comes to life itself, there's something about life, but, but uh, without getting lost in that, the, the point is, is that as we begin to look for the evidence for God, and as we begin to think about this, God has actually invested in his church a gift for you, but it doesn't come together unless all the parts. Darwin would have been scandalized, if you will, by the eye. In other words, he said in, in The Origin of Species, he said, if there's anything that cannot be demonstrated by natural selection, in other words, if you can point to anything in existence that natural selection can't explain, Darwin himself said, my theory is wrong. Because natural selection either explains everything or explains nothing. 
And you can start with the eye. We have one of the world's leading eye surgeons in our church, Ming Wang. And Ming will tell you that in order to have sight, it isn't like you got a little hole in your, eye, in your head and as years go by, it has to get a little bit bigger. No, there's multiple parts. It's called irreducible complexity. You can't have sight without all the parts working together. The same way with the body of Christ. I'm getting lost in that example, so I'll, I'll just come back in here to the message. Uh, the body coming together and functioning, something begins to happen where parts and gifts begin to emerge that won't emerge if they're not connected. I mean, you may have pretty eyes, but if you take your eye out and put it on the table like that, you've got a potential horror movie here. I remember, I remember seeing a movie years ago in, in Los Angeles, driving down, there was a billboard that had the hand. And it was almost like it made me start doubting my own hand. Like, what do you got, what, what you got in mind here? Like, is this, it's something like Jaws music gonna start happening? In other words, body parts and people that are kind of disjointed under no authority, a law to themselves. See, something happens when we come together. As a college student, I would, we would end up every day in what we call the D room, which was the deliverance room. Pastor Steve Merle was my housemate there. Many know Pastor Steve. And uh, we would end up every night almost in this accountability group. And uh, I was kind of the guy that if everybody was trying to practice ministry, they turned and kind of rebuked me. Like, hey, let's just rebuke Rice. He's probably done something wrong. So I was kind of the most rebuked person in the campus ministry. But it helped me. Because even though they didn't get right what they were saying, I had something else that they didn't know about that probably I needed to rebuke. It was just the wrong thing. But that connection, that fear of the Lord, remember that there's two kinds of fear. There's good and bad fear. You know what I'm talking about? It's like cholesterol, good and bad. When I was a little boy, I had a fear of if my arm went over the bed, that there was something underneath the bed that would carry it away. Now, see, I knew when I was in my 20s that wasn't true, but when my arm fell off the end of the bed, and I'd kind of think about it a minute, I'd say, I know there's nothing down there, but just in case, you know, <laughs> just in case. That's, you see, that's bad fear. Good fear is the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is what it says in Scripture makes you run from evil. Run from evil. Not even, not even getting close to the thing that might be something that you might not need to see. If you fear the Lord, then you're not going to even take a chance of coming into the airspace of something. You know how to, and you know how to do this. You know how to avoid people you don't like. You know how to unfriend. You know how to see somebody. If, and I see people that maybe have kind of left the faith, and I see them in a grocery store, and they see me, and it's like you can tell they're trying to figure out how to avoid me. And, of course, I have a gift in this. I have the gift of awkward. So I can find my way right into that moment and face them. Say, don't run. Don't run. Connect. Look, look at Ephesians 4. We're, we're about to stop. Look at verse 15. It says, so that we may no longer be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being joined and held together by every joint with which when it is equipped, 
when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up. Come up here, Pastor Delvin. Come up here, Felipe, mi amigo. Calibo. <laughs> see, nobody, I just see who spoke Spanish, see? I just, I've, I've known, I met Philip, what year? 82. He was a college student at University of Minnesota, so that dates us going all the way back. Um, I had hair back then, too. I had hair back then, too. And I'm, I was, I was going to get to that. <laughs> he jumped. I'm so glad that I have hair because I have a cut right here on my head. I, if I had bald head, I'd look like a piggy bank. It is so, God, God had mercy on me. Now, now, let me see here who I need. Okay. Come here, Bruce. You, got to, you get to be the devil today. Sorry. Now, most people who were disconnected... Now, the Bible says that right before in verse 14, it says you will not be tossed here and there by waves. And see, when you're on your own and you're not connected, the enemy can come along and just give me a good push. Okay. All right. That was pretty good. Uh, okay. All right. So you get the point. We don't need to do a second example. Uh, very much. That illustration worked. So the enemy pushes you around. And you can say, oh, I'm just flowing. I'm just, you know, I'm not really connected. I just kind of float around and bless the body of Christ. Here's the difference. When you're connected, see, this is a joint right here. You don't smoke this. There it is. Okay. And it's got to be real, a real connection. You see, when, and God places you like this, and all of a sudden, when you have this kind of connection, then when the enemy comes, it's going to be a different story. You see, God wants to get, make meaningful, Bruce, you get in here, you don't, you're, a, you're a pastor, I can't have people thinking there's something wrong with you. He's not the devil for some of you that will see. So connect here. So see, what God wants to do is he wants to join you. It says the body is fitted and held together. Say that, the body is fitted and held together. Do it again. The body is fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies. I can't count the number of times. This is, this is Pastor James. He's not here, but if he was here, of course, he would probably break my arm if I did this because he's got a big arm. But I can't tell how many times that my knees have buckled and he has carried me. I would like to say the same of me for him, but let's just say metaphorically I carried him. God, let's stand together. God wants to do this. And you don't have to, whether it's, a, don't go, I'm, I'm liking this. Y'all just stay connected here. See, you just backslid in two seconds. And we got to get you. Ask yourself meaningfully. You know, 40 years ago, I walked into a campus ministry and Pastor Steve Merle, he's three years younger than me. 40 years later, we're still, we're still together. Why? Because of a connection and something, see, I have the things, it says we belong to one another, that our, it says we are gifts, different gifts, but we belong to each other. So I don't have to be Captain Charismatic. I don't have to be the superstar. I don't have to be Steve Merle. I got Steve Merle. Steve can be Steve. I can have what he is flowing into me. All the gifts you need. There are people that are stronger than you and than other areas. 
But you have to be vitally connected. And the enemy is doing everything. This isn't, you can't get this online. Yeah. This, this isn't just some virtual connection. No, no, no. It, it, I promise you, it isn't going to work. It isn't going to work. It has to be real. It has to be meaningful. We're not, it doesn't, and we're not trying to contrive it. Let the Spirit lead you into the, He's going to place you. I used to think you'd read that phrase or hear that phrase, go to the church of your choice. I used to think that was in the Bible. Found out that was in the yellow pages. Remember them? But God places the members in the body as he desires. God put me with a group of people that I least would have chosen for myself. Not because this, this was my little Christian fraternity or sorority, you know, obviously not that, but I'm just saying, if you're a girl, but he placed me with the group of people that I needed the most. Most of them were not like me. But because he connected me, then something happened that changed my life. That now I'm here to stand and say, you can make it. 40 years from now, if you're a student, if you're a high school student, you don't have to be blown around, backslide, come back, backslide, come back. You know, after 10 years of, of wandering, finally wander into a church when nothing else works and come down front and surrender. If you come down front today, it's the last time you ever have to come down front unless you're the one helping to minister to someone else. Let's pray. If you've watched this message and you want to make Jesus Lord of your life, I've got good news. You can do it right now. I want you to pray with me. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my life for the rest of my life. I acknowledge I am a sinner. I need you, my savior. I believe you died for me. I believe you were raised from the dead on the third day. And I confess that you are now Lord of my life. If you've just prayed that prayer, I have good news for you. You have eternal life. The next step for you is to get in a Bible-believing church. We volunteer to be that church. But if not us, we pray God's blessings on you as you search for God's best for you. Thank you.